surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About It. We are here with co-host Kit Bender in the house. I'm back. You're Look back. at me right here. Yep, you're back. Um, I, I am very glad actually that you're going to be on this episode because we're in a bit we're going to have a guest on. Um, we're going to talk about consent and, you know, it's typically like a female-focused conversation, I feel like, mm-hmm. and... I was just like, no, like Kit needs to be in this episode. It's important to have a like male presence during this conversation. I think so. I mean, it's a tricky, it's a tricky topic because it's, um, mm-hmm. it's a thing that is. We would like to think of it as kind of on the extremes, yeah. But it's really not. It's mm-hmm. really a part of uh, everyday interactions. Uh, whether they're sexual or whether they're not, mm-hmm. yeah. um, but anyone that is just living their life, uh, we'll, we'll come across this more than we, we presently talk about, I think. Yeah. And we haven't really done an episode talking about sex yet. Um, I mean, we're open to the conversation. We're open to the topic. Yeah. Uh, but it hasn't, it's came up like briefly, I think in past converse, past episodes. Um, but something that comes up in, in our conversations as friends frequently, that's always what we're chatting about. We're always talking about dating and, mm-hmm. and what you're up to. I live, I, I live vicariously through Kit's dating life. It's not as exciting as one would think. <laughs> Trust me. Trust me. No, but we get into like all the deep little layers of it, you know? Yeah. It's we, definitely we get, layered. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of layers there. Um, there's a lot of layers in life. Uh, and now that I'm back uh, home in Seattle here, i um, been thinking a lot about like getting back into routines of things, you know, with traveling that can be a little stressful sometimes. Um, and have been continuing to read Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, uh, fabulous book that Kit recommended yeah. like a long time ago. And then the universe was just like really pushing it at me. Like we had talked about right. it and then I was somewhere else and then that it got brought up there and then it got brought up somewhere else. And I was like, damn, I need to read this I book. I always pay attention to that. If I like mm-hmm. hear, even if it's of a podcast or if it's of someone's Instagram or a book or anything like that, if I hear about it from yeah. a couple different spots, I'm just like, okay, I get the hint. I should read it. <laughs> like, okay, universe, fine. But it's a good book, isn't yeah. it? Really it just uh, profound. Mm-hmm. An untethered soul is what it's called. Yeah. And I mean, it's honestly taken me like like a year to read it. I'm not even done yet. Because but it's, I keep it's going not back long, but it's, it. it's dense enough that you get uh, a lot out of it, even on a second or third read. Yeah. Even of just certain sections. I mean, I can honestly read two pages and I'm like, I'm going to sit on this for the week. Yeah. Like, this is also not an ad for this book, um, no. <laughs> but <laughs> just a really good book. And one thing that I've been doing as I'm reading it is like, you know, writing down little notes of like, Things that are said in the book that just like really hit home that I'm like, like I said, you know, I'll read two pages and I'm like, okay, oh, got to let that sink in. And so I want to start sharing uh, with you guys, you know, whether it's Untethered Soul or whatever other book I'm reading, um, just kind of like little updates on, you know, 
things that just will take a second to sit in. Okay. Um, and so this week, kind of focusing on this thought. Awareness does not fight. Awareness releases. Awareness does not fight. Awareness releases. Okay, what's that, what's that doing to your brain? Uh, and to your... That when you're aware... You're not, you're not, you're not fighting it. You're just, you're, you're letting it be. What is it releasing? I don't know. Releasing, um, this is some real present time processing guys. Um, releasing the fact that that you have the awareness, like letting the awareness be, releasing the need or the desire to control or to like fight the awareness in some way. Um, Like one thing they always talk about in the book, you know, is like you are the observer. Mm -hmm. Like you are not the feeling that you're feeling. You are the observer that you are feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like being aware of that, like, if you're aware of it, you're not fighting it and trying to make it be all these things. You, you, you're releasing that and you're just letting it be. Hmm. What does release mean for you? Well, it seems to me like, okay, you're talking about awareness as in your ability to observe yeah. with the most clarity where you are right now. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe both from a place where you zoom out a little bit and you kind of are observing it from a slight distance, you know, yeah. just even in your, in your own mind, but also just being um, aware of the, the, the tangible nature of where you are and what you're thinking and what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to me, the release comes um, <clears throat> when you're aware of two things that you can then let go of. The first is um, a distraction, a thing that pulls you away from that you release the, the desire present. to give into the distraction. You release the desire to give into the distraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the second would be a trigger or something, which is also a distraction, but it's a very mm-hmm. specific distraction because it's one mm-hmm. that elicits some kind of uh, often emotion or f- feeling, mm-hmm. uh, an, an anger or a sadness or an irritation or something like that. That can also, it's a distraction, but it's, I think it's a very specific distraction that has something mm-hmm. very important to say. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I think learning to both sit with those two things and say, what am I being distracted by? And more, most specifically, what am I, am I being triggered by? Yeah. Um, once we sit with those just long enough, then we can, we can release those things and come back to our awareness. Now I'm curious because I kind of came up with two things and you kind of came up with two things. And you know how like we... I think that there's a certain part of it that's like we see those things because those are like our biases, you know, like, so I'm like the need to control. You release that. It's like, yeah, that's something I struggle with and work on. And like for you, you're like, oh, you know, distractions and triggers. And triggers, yeah, because those are the things that that pull me out. Like I'm not, I'm not a stressed out person. So it's like, if, if anything else, I can just zone out into nothingness, you know, like uh, getting yeah. lost in my brains and you know, daydreaming is an easy thing for me to do. So I'm um, curious for other people when they, when they hear awareness does not fight, awareness releases, yeah. what does that say to you of what you're fighting and that you're yep. trying to release yeah. from? Because um, there's even that old saying that whatever you fight gets stronger. Mm-hmm. Like that's just yeah. the way the it works. The more you resist, the more it persists. Yeah, I was trying to avoid saying that, <laughs> but I... 
<clears throat> you did it. You did it. What you resist persists, but that it yeah. really is is so true. Yeah. And actually releasing um, whatever that thing is you're resisting, mm-hmm. and either sitting with it or just um, being aware of it, so that you can uh, be more present. I think is is an important thing to recognize. But it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, I mean, just speaking of like being present, you just recently had a date where you were like, you were very present in the state. You're very, yes. very intentional. And the outcome was like very different than something you've experienced before. Um, and that like, I think it's really beautiful, the things that can happen when we're just so present with it. And for that, that awareness is like releasing uh, the, the, the urge to be future focused, to be past focused, to not be present. Mm -hmm. That when you're being present, you really are releasing all those other things that would be perhaps distracting you from being present. Um, I'm trying to think of like, I feel like I've been being a lot more present. Like, I mean, I was in New York and I was with Derek and I was really focusing on like being very present, uh, always intentionally going into our time together. Like I'm going to be very present and like, we're going to soak up our time together. Um, but then even, you know, like with Lily, I've been practicing being present with Lil because mm-hmm. I had to say goodbye to Theo recently, my cats, uh, and you know, like want to make sure that she's doing okay and that she's not, you know, spazzing out or, you know, I don't know. Just trying to be very for, for present. For the first time, listeners, Lily is her cat. Yeah. <laughs> this is not like a strange friend that spazzes out randomly. This and is for first time, listeners, welcome to the Crazy Cat Lady podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Plus Kit. <laughs> crazy Cat Lady. Crazy Cat Man. Crazy Cat Man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's cats are easy to almost ignore even once they have their basic needs met. But it can be, yeah. it's a different experience to actually like, you know, mm-hmm. interact with them. You, you, you can learn from them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Lily. Oh, Theo. Missy Theo. There was an episode. There was a moment a few, of silence for Theo right yeah, there. Yeah, it was a moment of silence for my Theo Theo. Um, but there was an episode that we did uh, a few episodes back on uh, grief and how to thrive through grief and loss. Mm. And that episode actually came out the same week that um, I had to say goodbye to Theo. And it was a really good episode. Um, really enjoyed our guest on that. So if you guys haven't listened to that one yet, totally recommend checking that one out. Um, but yeah, I think being present something to, to always kind of bring your focus back to um, and like what your needs are. And I've been working on being very, very present with my body lately um, by doing some like exercises, focusing on like my, you know, what I'm putting on my body, what I'm putting in my body, um, food, you know, skincare, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I've actually been using this, uh, new skincare routine, uh, with BioClarity. They're a green gentle skincare line. It just helps me get, you know, that naturally glowy skin and who doesn't want some nice glowy skin? I love glowy skin. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I thought you were pregnant, but apparently (laughs) it's this. Okay. All right. That's probably... It's a different kind of glow kit. Um, But it's 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And you know that that's really important to me that I have like good ingredients in the products that I'm using. Um, And one of my favorite things about my experience with BioClarity is is actually their ingredients. They have uh, this really unique new ingredient called Floralux, and it's made straight from chlorophyll. I mean doesn't get much natural than that. Flora Lux. 
Chlorilex. It's a clever form of chlorophyll. Uh, It's proven to actually nourish your skin and soothe away imperfections and blemishes. So um, I've been using it with the essentials routine. And, you know, my nose is always like a little red because I'm like a cold old lady and my nose is always running because I'm cold. So (laughs) So my nose is always a little bit red, but I've been using the the BioClarity routine and it's actually been helping with some of the redness around my nose. it's honestly, it's kind of like green juice for your face. Um, you can detox and rebalance your skin with BioClarity. It's also delivered straight to you in an easy-to-use three-step skincare routine that's 100% vegan plus gluten and cruelty-free. So you, you don't want gluten on your face. You that's don't. Just the worst. No, you don't want that gluten on your face. <laughs> There's no need for that to be in there. Um, you guys can also get started on healthier habits with your skincare today. Just go to bioclarity.com. My listeners will get their first month for 50% off of a routine plus free shipping. And it even comes with a 100% risk free money back guarantee. So you need to enter my code TAYLOR. That's bioclarity.com and enter my code Taylor. That's basically robbery, but it's a good deal. So do it. You know, I love hooking you guys up with those discount codes, but to get back to actually the topic of the day, um, we're going to talk about consent. Um, Got Kit here with us, so I'm glad we got some male presence in this episode. Um, And... The guest actually is a good friend of a good family friend of mine, Rob, who was on the biracial episode, which you guys can also check out. Um, and yeah, she's just been doing amazing work. Uh, she has a feminist podcast that promotes healing and normalizes mental health called the Sana Sana Podcast. Uh, she's a communications professional and works with this agency called Peer Health Exchange. Um, it's a national nonprofit that works to equip young people with the knowledge, skills, and resources to make healthy decisions. So Adriana is going to come on and share with us uh, some of her knowledge around consent and how we can move forward having these conversations. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you here and to talk about this. Um so I guess first kind of question just kind of started off, you know, uh, we got introduced through Rob who was on the biracial episode um, and you guys have done some work together in the past and he had actually came up to me and we were, you know, catching up and he was kind of like, yeah, I was having a, uh, had lunch or conversation with my good friend and we we're talking about consent and, you know, she had some really great things to say about it. She's doing all this work around consent and he was very like, blown away by the conversation and had taken away such good insight. Um, and so it's kind of how we all got connected here. And I'm, I'm curious uh, <laughs> where all this work around consent started for you. Sure. Oh, Rob, I love him. I feel like <laughs> all of our conversations are usually um, pretty deep and at some point or another, one of our minds is blown. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so. So it's good. It's good. It's it's a reminder that like these kinds of conversations don't have to be hard mm-hmm. and they don't always have to necessarily open um, or have like answers, but it's good just to start those conversations because mm-hmm. I think that's where a lot of our answers come from, right? Yeah. Like just by exploring and that's what a lot of your podcast does too. So that's one of the reasons I'm a listener. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> no problem. So where did my um, work with consent start is, I think, the question, right? Yes. <clears throat> so that's not necessarily an easy answer, but um, 
I basically today I work for an organization called Peer Health Exchange. Um, I'm fairly new there. I started working there. Um, I want to say now like about six months ago mm-hmm. and I joined as their uh, senior director of marketing and communications. So basically I'm like their PR person. Mm-hmm. I'm usually trying to get other people from our organization to talk to media. Yeah. So I'm very much <laughs> like the, the hype woman, right? I'm all about hyping up our organization yes. um, and really showcasing the talent on our that like make up our organization. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for me, one of the reasons I was really excited to join Peer Health Exchange is because they are training college students to go into classrooms and have conversations very similar to these with younger folks. So ninth graders, particularly mm-hmm. in high schools across the country. So we have a health curriculum that we work with and We talk about big issues like sexual health, mental health, and substances in the classroom. And I think one of the most important things um, when we're talking about health and safety of young people, really everyone's sexual health when we're thinking about it, right? Understanding and supporting consent is is crucial. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's like the bare minimum. That's like where we should start (laughs) first and foremost, like really having an understanding of what consent is, what agency is. So that's how I ended up at Peer Health Exchange because I am someone that I'm a trained journalist. I've been working in advocacy and nonprofit communications for about nine years now. Um, So I think storytelling, stories, the power of narrative is mm-hmm. really important. Like it's it's a really important tool to be able to open up minds and get people to come together to talk about things that maybe we don't talk about, but we should be. Yeah. So, um, you know, my work in like marketing and communications has been always on this track of talking about important social issues. Mm-hmm. So consent for me is just one of those things that I've cared deeply about and Before coming to Peer Health Exchange, um, I had been doing this work through volunteering at an organization called Mujeres Latinas en Acción. Mm -hmm. It's a a 45-year-old Chicago organization that amongst many social services that they provide to Latinos and their families, one of them is around sexual assault. Um, so I'm a board member there and I've been trained, um, I've gone through their 42 hour sexual assault training, which basically gets you ready to, um, be a medical advocate. You go out to hospitals when someone's been assaulted Mm -hmm. and they go to the ER room, you basically show up and help them navigate their choices because that sometimes is a very, it's, it's a hard time for you to be clear-headed and thinking through everything that's in front of you. So yeah, we basically definitely. just provide support in that way. And before that, I mean, I think um, as someone who's been a feminist since as long as I can remember, mm-hmm. um, and someone who's always just gravitated towards like having conversations around all the things, all the wonderful and hard things that make us a human being, um, I've been having conversations around sex and consent for a really long time, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so I can't tell you where exactly it started, but mm-hmm. I think I started doing it a lot more seriously about four years ago when I started doing the work with mujeres. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you make a, 
a, a good point too that, you know, it's, it's kind of been a part of your life for a, a long time as, as it kind of is for all of us, you know, consent and, and our sexual health and all of that is something that we deal with on a regular basis, you know, and learning the, the tools and the skills really to, um, you know, just kind of be able to navigate that in a healthier way, I think is super important, um, even though it can be uncomfortable to talk about, especially with the population you're currently working with, you know, ninth graders. Definitely. And, you know, I think um, one thing that I always like to talk about when it comes to a lot of these social issues that thanks to the internet, thanks to all the media at our disposal, like now we have so much more information at our fingertips. Mm -hmm. So I'm always amazed at like the conversations that young folks are having and how, you know, how woke they are. You know, I don't remember (laughs) having that like weight uh, behind a lot of my thinking when I was like 14 years old. Yeah. But I think what's really great to think about is that like, no matter how old you are, it's never too late to start learning about these things. Mm -hmm. And even if you think you have an understanding, there's always a deeper layer that needs to be explored. (laughs) Like there's just like a lot of like my own understanding has evolved. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm, I'm a survivor of sexual assault. So like my own understanding and having language around the things that like I've experienced yeah. continue continue to evolve so just mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of reasons why we need to continue having all these kinds of talks mm-hmm. i'm uh, i'm wondering if over the years that you've as you've had these conversations with people if there's a a question or a comment that has continued to come up over and over and over that like you you find yourself answering again and again are there any mm. like running themes there's a lot of them there's not one Mm-hmm. But, you know, as you were asking me that question, um, a scenario popped into my head. I remembered having this conversation with um, a person and it wasn't like it started off like we were talking about consent. We were just talking about sex. And he made a little comment to me around like what it means to have like good or bad sex for him. Mm -hmm. And he made something like, he made a comment around like, you know, I just hate when someone just like is laying there. We call them starfish. Mm, Yeah. I've heard of them, of the people call them like dead fish. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was like, do you ever think that they're just laying there because they don't want to be there with you? Great question. He he freaked out. (laughs) He was like, what? And I was like, yeah. Do you ever think that like they're not participating because they're not interested they're not not interested they're not comfortable like maybe they felt like they had to be there and they don't want to be and like Mm -hmm. it really blew his mind and he really challenged like he got really defensive at first yeah and and then you know I I wasn't really trying to make accusations I was just asking questions Mm -hmm. so um I was like, you know, that's why I'm really a proponent for enthusiastic consent. Because, like, the only way that, like, you know is if she's into it, you will know. Yes. If she's into it, you will know. And there's plenty of women who love Mm -hmm. sex. So if she's just laying there, like, 
that might be like a good time to stop and like ask some questions. <laughs> yeah. Right. Definitely. Like maybe you could ask them like, hey, are you enjoying yourself? Is everything okay? Mm-hmm. Learning to read body language can, uh, can go a long way. Yeah. Yeah. But it's so much more than that, right? Like right. I think mm-hmm. it's okay to use our words. Um, yeah. But There's... that was like, I just remember that story popping up in my head because I think he, it really opened his eyes. He was just like, I have never thought about this way. <laughs> I'm going to tell all my friends about this. <laughs> That's I was awesome. Like, yeah, please do. Please yeah, do. he had a little light bulb go off there. Um, <laughs> yep. It. I mean, that kind of kind of relates to one of the letters that we got. She kind of talks about, um, you know, she also experienced uh, this listener had also experienced a sexual assault uh, experience by a group of strangers. Um, She felt like she didn't have a voice um, and that she doesn't really post things on social media that are personal, but then felt the strong urge to tell her story. Um, And kind of like how you're saying, you know, you had experienced a sexual assault and and you're also like a huge advocate for talking about these kinds of things now. Um, And that that was something that really worked for her was to start telling her story. Um, But something that she thought was kind of a theme around consent. Um, She says, saying no, whether it be a, sorry, not tonight, I've got too much to do type of no, or a, I said no, stop texting me about it type of no, doesn't translate to convince me. In my experience, the hookup culture we live in today has heightened the expectation of instant gratification for sex and or sex acts. We are inclined to think the person rejecting us is being coy or playing hard to get or teasing us, when most of the time a person saying no in any form means just that. And then when it's finally understood that this person actually means no, the reaction is typically lashing out in some fashion, whether it be verbally icing the person out or even physical anger, which leads to many sexual assault crimes. And I got to say, reading this, I, I totally felt connected to high school Taylor and college Taylor because that's so true. That I feel like for at least in my experience, you know, that saying no or whatever, that, that that's a, an invitation to convince me. Um, and that then when you do actually say no and that that line's drawn, that then people get really upset and real defensive and then they're just kind of mean to you. Like you, like you hurt the ego of the, yes. of the person doing the pursuing. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot there. And first of all, just a big thank you to that listener that wrote in and shared their story. You mm-hmm. know, um, I think it's really powerful when we tell our stories. And I, I will be the first to tell you that I wasn't always able to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 38 years old and I'm now just starting to own some of my stories. Yeah. You know, and um, so it's like if you're not there yet and you've gone through something like this, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, if you are able to share your story, just I've always filled with gratitude for those people that can and do mm-hmm. because it's helping us, you know, learn from each other. Um, mm. I think the things that I heard from from that um, letter, there were so many layers to it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to start with just like a little bit of um, like a definition. Yes. Of different kinds of like frameworks that I, I want to couch our conversation around. So mm-hmm. one of the things that I heard from her. It's talking about hookup culture, right? Mm-hmm. That um, that idea actually is probably as old as time, and it's called rape culture. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, right, rape culture goes back for as long as we've had a society that's like 
ruled by what's called a patriarchy, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, men men in power are mostly the people in power, um, you know, and that can be looked at in a lot of different ways, not just politically. Um, but even when we think about these, like, gender norms, like, what's okay for a guy, what's not okay for a girl, you know, um, that's all comes back to rape culture, which is a society where we basically are normalizing Mm-hmm. sexual violence is accepted yeah um right like that's the norm even like this idea of having to convince someone yep. that is what's called coercion mm-hmm. <laughs> you know um coercion is basically where you use pressure or you're like manipulating someone um or you know you're persisting Mm-hmm. You're trying to break them down, basically, to say, yes, you're pressuring. Yeah. Which uh, isn't even uh, exclusive to a, quote-unquote, hookup culture. I mean, that happens in nope. relationships. I know very oh. frequently in some of my past relationships where that was, like, how we ended up having sex was just this pressure and this con- constant convincing when you're really just mm-hmm. not feeling it. Right. Um, you know, sometimes they trick you, sometimes they use emotional leverage, alcohol Mm -hmm. or drugs is also part of that coercion. Yes. So, so coercion is a big part of like, like whether that makes something consensual or not. Mm -hmm. So, um, even if you said yes, after you've said no a million times, that's not really a yes. Yeah. So I just want to put a little asterisk by that. So there was coercion that I heard in her letter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just like this idea of what we're talking about when we talk about consent. So there's a lot of different definitions. Um, there's legal definitions, which mm-hmm. I've tried. I rarely abide by those I, unless I'm like helping someone with like a day in court. Yeah. <laughs> but for the most part, I try to live by ethical definitions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, consent isn't just about like a yes or no. It's what I kind of referenced earlier, this idea of enthusiastic consent. Mm-hmm. And that is where the people who are involved in this moment or this encounter, everybody's all in and there is no question. Mm-hmm. Um, like you are excited about it. Um, at Peer Health Exchange, we define it as... Um, hold on, let me see. But I just want to make sure. I have. So, at Peer Health Exchange, we define it as choosing freely to do something, a clear yes at every step of sexual activity. Um, so, for me, I always add just like that it's between, you know, consenting adults, that it's, you know, sober. That's, mm-hmm. I, I take it to the next level in terms of like being really clear what enthusiastic consent means to me. Yeah. Um, and so like we all probably have our own definition of consent. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Which is why it's society, also important to communicate that. Definitely. And as a society, like I would love for us to move past rape culture into consent culture where we basically feel really comfortable talking about it, that we're not embarrassed or it's not weird to talk Mm -hmm. about consent, um, that, you know, you are taking into mind the other person's pleasure and it's not just about your own pleasure. Mm -hmm. So that to me is consent culture. 
mm-hmm. where we celebrate that and it's exciting and it's not weird and you're bringing mindfulness to your interactions with other people. Yeah. Um, which, like you said, can be done outside of the bedroom, right? Like if you're bullying someone into doing something, mm-hmm. whether it's inside of the bedroom or not, like... It's yeah. like not okay, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think too that, you know, kind of what the what the listener brings up is this kind of like perpetual state, the cycle that we see, or at least that I've experienced, um, that part of why it becomes so uncomfortable to talk about and at times uncomfortable to say no is because there is that sense that I think some most women are aware of um, with if you do say no, if you are resisting that, that you will be met with some kind of punishment, some kind of a backlash. Um, you know, I know I've had guys that like, when I make it clear that that's not the type of relationship I'm interested in, or for that night, that's not something that I care to engage in that then I'm name called. I was, would be bullied at school. I would be, you know, kind of like ostracized as like, you know, she didn't give it up. So, you know, she can't like hang with us, whatever kind of thing. Um, Mm. and I mean, I think that even in relationships, even in romantic relationships that at times there can be this fear around saying no, because, of, of how that other person will react in terms of power, in terms of how they um, utilize their power, how they express their their power over your decision in a way to kind of punish you for that answer, which then at times, you know, kind of is part of that convincing of like, okay, well, you know, I, I, I should do this because then, you know, I don't want to be name called and I don't want to like, you know, be put down and yeah, well, What it feels like is it feels like a part of the game that went too far. Because I think built into just the way that we interact socially is a little bit of a dance and a little bit of a game with mm-hmm. the push and a pull of uh, yeah. of um, <clears throat> just the way we communicate verbally and non-verbally and then the way we flirt and the way that um, all these things are um, kind of pushed back and forth as people are, are mm-hmm. figuring each other out. Yeah. But And I think that's that's a natural thing, but I think there does come a point where the, the game becomes less about finding a that, that beautiful place it in the middle where two people can meet yeah and it comes more of a game where one more person's a, well more of a winning. competition mm-hmm. yeah because there's there's two ways to to gain you can play a game that's more like a dance mm-hmm. or you can play a game that's more like a you know like a, a, a zero sum where there has to be a winner and a well when one person has to feel like they have to win right and then yes. built into that is on someone that loses on the other end mm-hmm. but right. that, but that's, that's but that's tricky do you have any advice for people that that are learning how to, you know, to, to play that game and to have that, have that dance with people. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it, which does require sometimes a push. It does require some uh, pushes of confidence and of asserting yourself a little bit in order to you know, make yourself known. But then, you know, sometimes that does mean maybe for some people within their own head even, that means they're coming up on that line of, of, of is this okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, one thing that I just wanted before I forget to to mention when we were talking about the listener letter, um, you know, the the reaction of someone who's receiving the no, how that that ends up. So we're talking a lot about guy girl dynamics, but mm-hmm. understand that like this happens within queer relationships too. Yeah, and um, that that's not like anyone who's having sex can experience this. Mm-hmm. Um, but we when we talk about um, like the harsh or violent reactions, I mean, that is being fueled by, um, you know, 
men are are more often the ones that are violating or mm-hmm. becoming violent um, in terms of just the numbers when yeah. when they we get the rejection re- rejection or at least the, the so, reported like, numbers yeah right and so when we when we talk about like why people might not even say no is because of that fear too mm-hmm. that's a real fear some people lose their lives over this yeah right like we we hear stories every day about women who get killed just for not giving someone their phone number or mm-hmm. you know like that's a real thing mm-hmm. um but i think you know in terms of the advice piece i think part of it is really challenging ourselves to start thinking differently about sex mm-hmm. you know and i think that's what makes um what's making a lot of people uncomfortable and like even scared, you know, like I think a lot of people are fearful of like what these conversations around consent mean because there there are a lot of people that aren't ready to let that power go. Mm-hmm. There's you know, a... and if, you ahead. know, we're I'm sorry, go ahead, Taylor. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say there's a lot of a lot that is required for us to change like how we feel right so again if we're talking about everybody is excited to have sex in this moment yeah that is a lot different than like the dance or the game where like one of us is gonna win right Mm -hmm. (laughs) and one of us is gonna lose you know i think the whole like giving in even that concept of giving in or submitting Mm -hmm. like if if we get rid of that dynamic and we're like no everybody showing up to the party yeah. is is excited and like mm-hmm. blowing their little party streamers and, and they got the hats wrapped <laughs> yeah everybody's ha- like really happy to be here to sing happy birthday that's mm-hmm. a totally different yeah you know and then dynamic. you wouldn't be complaining about having sex with a dead fish because right. she wouldn't have been be convinced there. um <laughs> Yeah. And this reminds me, there's a, there's a comedian and I can't remember who it is. It might've been Aziz. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I can't remember, but they talk about, um, actually might've been Louie. I don't know. Um, but there was a comedian that talks about, you know, how we talk about dating and like sexual activity in terms of like bases, like a baseball game and how Mm -hmm. twisted that is and how we should really be looking at it as like we're ordering pizza together. Because when you start ordering (laughs) pizza together, you're like, oh, well, what kind of pizza do you want? Like, do you like this on your pizza? Do you like this topping? You know, it's Mm. a conversation that you have and then you're both enjoying it as opposed to bases where it's like, yeah, you're just trying to run to the next base as fast as possible and trying to like make sure the other person doesn't catch the ball and and all this stuff and that with baseball, it's like you're on opposite teams, you know, but if you're just ordering pizza together, you know, you have this whole conversation and then who doesn't like pizza? Like everyone's right. just, you, you get to enjoy it, you know? And I thought that vegans, was such a... <laughs> vegans don't like pizza, Taylor. <laughs> There's vegan pizza. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that was such a cool, like different way of looking at it where it is. It's like, right. you know, this conversation that you're both having, you both have things on there that you like, you know, maybe you get a, you know, half and half kind of pizza where like you're both compromising on getting some of the things that you guys both like. And I don't know. I thought it was just a cool, different way to look at it. Definitely. Uh, because it, I think it goes back to that idea that like you you do care if the other person is going to enjoy their slice of pizza. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like exactly. <laughs> it's no longer just about your pleasure, but about your shared pleasure mm-hmm. and about your partner's pleasure. And I'd imagine um, that the process that these two people go through as they're ordering the pizza can be as fun as actually eating the pizza and actually the reward of actually getting it is, is kind of 
the, the fruit of what was maybe a really great interaction. So like the, the foreplay mm-hmm. and the things leading up, the things that, that are, are affirming in every step of the way instead of just, mm-hmm. just the final act. Like it can all, yeah, be, it can all be enjoyed. Exactly. And then even, even before the, the, the picking up, the foreplay, it's like, ask you, hey, do you want to get pizza? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. It doesn't or, really matter if she was really into Thai food, you know? <laughs> right. Or like, I'm going to get some pizza. Do you want to get in on this? Yeah. <laughs> There's a million different ways to ask. But yes. Yes. Um, And one thing I want to ask you, uh, you know, we got this other letter and I think this um, kind of goes back to talking about like the legal definition of consent versus some ethical definitions of consent. Um, When we talk about drinking um, and body language um, and, you know, we kind of, I'm not sure if you ever, if you watched uh, Paradise, but um, This last season of Paradise that I was on, there was this whole scandal with this incident where consent really became a topic um, on the show. And, you know, we were were kind of taught these legal definitions of consent. Um, And I kind of had some differing ones, given that I'm someone that doesn't drink. Um, But we did get a a letter from someone and and she asked... um, She says, is inebriated consent still consent? I know the concept of consent is so difficult for some people to grasp. I obviously agree that it must always be given, but I don't think it necessarily always needs to be given verbally. What I mean by that is that consent can be given and just as easily taken away through the use of body language. The same way you can tell if someone is uncomfortable in an awkward situation, you should be able to tell if a woman or man aren't aren't comfortable with your advances. Quite frankly, sometimes the absence of sound or verbal communication is a great, greater indicator than a simple yes. She goes on to say, you, you can agree or disagree, uh, but on that, this is the root of my question, does the consent of someone drunk enough to be, to be taken advantage of count as consent? I wager you'll say, no, this doesn't count. However, my counter question is, how about when the consent is given by an inebriated person within a loving relationship? Oh, there's like a couple. There's a lot of there's layers. A, there's a to few this. things in there. Oh yeah, yeah. Where should we start? <laughs> yeah. Well, Let, well, let's start with the the general question of uh, is inebriated. Consent. Yeah, a drugs and alcohol mm. as as part of that process. Mm. You know, um, I always am. You remember when you asked me, kind of like, I have questions that come up a lot. This is definitely mm-hmm. one of them. Yeah. I think. People want to figure out how can we still have drunk sex? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, a huge part like, of it is like, I need a few more drinks before I approach this person to then yeah. maybe because I want to have sex with them. Well, and some of it is yeah. we just, humans just have a tendency to get in their heads, especially around things like sex. And sometimes a little bit of uh, yeah. taking the edge off helps us engage in a different way. But then there's that like always this cliff <laughs> Where, yeah. And um, it's like, are you really mindfully engaging? Then are you mindfully Yeah. It becomes gray really quickly. Very quickly. And I think even for myself, um, this is a definition that has really changed for me, myself, personally. Mm-hmm. Like, I I can, I am a sober person, so, like, that mm-hmm. really just helps a lot. But, like, mm-hmm. I um, didn't used to be. And um, I think my understanding of, like, what was at stake has really changed, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like... In my definition of enthusiastic consent, that includes both people being sober 
Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's really the question is really asking about a loving relationship. And I think within a loving relationship, there should be, right? Should, mm-hmm. yep. quote unquote, be uh, right, already a lot of communication at play. And if it's not, you know, that sometimes is a, a root of like a deeper issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing with me, once you throw alcohol in in the mix or any other kind of drug or something that puts you under the influence, um, if you change your mind, which you're allowed to do at any point in time, like I think it just makes it a lot harder to have that conversation, yeah. even within a loving relationship. You know, even within a loving relationship, you're not obligated to go through with something that you said you would earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're talking about levels of intoxication, too. right? Yes. So that's where, again, we're talking about the the mm-hmm. very gray areas. Yeah. Um, how, how can you tell if someone is tipsy versus I mean, you should be able to tell someone's blacked out because they're yeah. laying there and not conscious. Yeah. But. But you everyone know, re- everyone responds differently. Mm-hmm. Everyone reacts differently. Totally. To- yeah. And I think part of it depends also on what kind of sex it is you're wanting to have. Like for me as a sober person, you know, I date people that drink and um, I've never had sex with someone who's been drunk because for me, I feel like they can't actually give that consent. I feel like they're not present how I want them to be. And it doesn't feel like the kind of quality connection that I want to have in the sex that I have, because then that becomes less enjoyable for me. And I don't want to have an enjoyable sex. Right. Well, one of um, the volunteers I worked (laughs) with just last week was, she did a wonderful job. Her name is Kirsty. She's out of the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Kirsty. She was... She was explaining, like, again, if we're talking about our pleasure, Mm -hmm. you know, um, often while alcohol may lower your inhibitions, it also lowers your sensitivity. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, you are not feeling, you you know, sex the same way you would if you were sober. Mm -hmm. Um, So she she was less concerned about, like, let's talking about right or wrong in the moment. But, like, also if we're we're talking about enthusiastically participating, can you really do that if you're missing some of your senses? Yeah. Um, But for me, no, it's not consensual in a loving relationship or not. But Mm -hmm. if we're talking about, again, like, larger definitions, it's important to really start to have those questions with your partner, especially if it's within, you know, yeah, relationship. Like, like two drinks might be one thing, but, you know, having, you know, if you're having the, uh, the, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? The like, uh, typical amount that you should, should be drinking <laughs> part of like one drink per hour kind of a thing right. that might be a different conversation for you and your partner to have versus if you're out taking shots at the club and then want to go back and have sex that like, that might be a different thing. It's almost like we all need to just for ourselves write down what our definition of enthusiastic consent is mm-hmm. like what our what our criteria is of and when, what kind of sex you feel, want to be having yeah when we feel enthusiastic about mm-hmm. yeah and she also you know she brings up body language in this letter um right. and i think 
<laughs> that can only go so far um, because also like we talked about earlier where sometimes that body language is a part of that dance of like, you know, do you like when I move towards you this way? No? Yeah. Okay, what if I move this way? Like figuring out what the other person likes and whatnot, but that, you know, that sometimes yeah. there is this like, oh, I'm going to like tease you a little bit. And like th- there's there's blurred lines there to where I don't think uh, enthusiastically that that could be, uh, you know, firm consent. No, you know, honestly, the thing about that is that if if it was that easy, right, we wouldn't have people using body language as like a reason great. They're like, no, she right. totally wanted it. Yeah, she was pr- she was pressing into me. Um, my friend Jesse, she's a sister of mine in this type of work. She works at Planned Parenthood, and she was explaining to me like that she did this workshop once where. Um, it was on victim blaming. Mm. Um, they were talking about like how someone dresses. Yes. And I was going to get to that. I'm glad you're talking about this. <laughs> yeah. She was, she was like, okay, I want you to draw a woman with a skirt that you would consider slutty. But... And then when everybody showed their picture, like the, the lengths of the skirt were so different. Mm. Um, and I think that that really is telling like, your interpretation of body language, whether it might be clear to you or not, I think is completely different than the person next to you. And it leaves way too much room for a gray area to know like that consent is um, implied. Mm -hmm. Like, again, if you're not 100% absolutely sure, like why would it be a big deal just to be like, Hey, how you doing? Are are you still having fun? Like, is this still a good thing? Like, how does this feel? You know, there's a lot of different ways to get that verbal consent. Mm -hmm. And I think that that really, like, helps to relieve a lot of ambiguity. Just, like, having those questions. I mean, there there was a time when if a girl showed too much ankle, it was too much. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) right, cultures have taken these giant swings. And so who knows? Totally. And kissing is not necessarily consent for sex or kissing is not necessarily, um, you know, like the next step to something. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, body language, there's like a huge spectrum on on that. That doesn't mean that if I'm holding your hand that I'm ready for the next thing. Yeah. Um, And I think like for me, I want to really make it clear. Like I remember even, you know... I mean, I guess still sometimes today where, you know, if I really want to like get really dressed up and like, yeah, that might be a little bit more skin showing, but like not to shame myself in that, to feel like other people are going to look at me thinking, you know, that I'm asking for it or that, you know, oh, I'm like looking like such a hoe. And, you know, sometimes that's like a thing that I think women can embrace. And I mean, probably isn't the best thing for like my psyche, but you know, if I'm getting ready, I'm like, yep, I'm getting hoed up, like getting ready to go out and you know, I'm excited (laughs) for it. I'm going to feel good. And it's just like, it's a way to kind of own that, I guess. And like, and it can be like, just an expression of your own feminine energy. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think like, have to be a slutty. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be in, like, a negative way yeah. either, I think. Um, but for me, I mean, I, I I wanted to be very clear for people listening that, like, no matter what you wear, no matter how you choose to express yourself um, with your clothing, with your accessories, with your makeup, uh, how you style your hair, that that doesn't give anyone the consent or the right no. to touch you in any way <laughs> that you don't consent to. Um 
and that I think that's super important as like a takeaway for this because I th- I know there are a lot of women that listen um, and that like to not shame yourself for what how you're choosing to express yourself because no matter what that doesn't mean that you asked for it and that doesn't mean that you deserve to be treated in any kind of disrespectful way. No, yeah, I'm so glad that you said that. Um, def- definitely not. And I mean, that's that's also kind of goes back to rape culture, right? Like we are just prone as a society to sexualize the mm-hmm. naked body. Yeah, you know, so you could you could be walking down the street naked. You could be sleeping next to someone naked. That does not give you the permission to touch mm-hmm. them if if they have not given you that mm-hmm. consent or permission. Um, so I think that just goes back to this idea that, like, you know, women's bodies specifically, I think, get very sexualized mm-hmm. um, when when it's just a body. You know, like this is this is how we came into the world. If you're naked, you know, like um, society is the one that has really put all of these like connotations mm-hmm. to what like an exposed ankle means. Yeah. <laughs> I love that kid. <laughs> I'm, I'm, ankles are totally sexy. So I get it. Hey, I show mine all the time. But yeah. How we dress and how we like express ourselves, I think can be a really powerful message. You know, I love uh, to experiment with different ways of dressing. Um, Mod cloth is actually one of my favorite brands because it's a company that's designed by women for women. And they they have a variety of looks. They come in full size ranges from extra, extra small to 4X. So they're really welcoming of all body shapes and all sizes of women. Another one of the things I love about Mod Cloth is they have a great, like somewhat off topic, but totally on topic for our pod, um, is they have a great selection of like cat themed clothing. Oh. So <laughs> I got this. Should have known that's where it- it was going. <laughs> um, it's a part of our conversation. Um, cats are always relevant. So it they have just an amazing, like they have like cute, quirky items. You know, you can show a little bit of that angle. Um, and I got this little robe and it says meow all over it and has little cat faces on it. And I always get the cutest little compliments on it when friends come over and I'm wearing it because it's so like fluffy and just adorable. First of all, why are you wearing a robe when you have friends over? Because like I said earlier, I'm always like a cold old lady. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I'll still have regular clothes on, but I'll put my little robe on over top of it. Some Kleenex stuffed in the little pocket. Yeah. A cup of tea. Yeah, I mean, mod cloth just honestly lets me express myself in the most authentic way possible. (laughs) Every purchase I get from them, I'm in love with and I always get amazing compliments on. Whether it's cute athletic leggings that I get or really adorable overalls, I'm always super happy with my mod cloth purchases. And you guys can actually get 15% off your purchase of $100 or more, which is very easy to do. You don't even realize you're just shopping through and then all of a sudden you have $100 in your cart. (laughs) But I'm going to help you ladies. We're going to get that 15% off your purchase. Uh, Go to modcloth.com, M-O-D-C-L-O-T-H.com and enter code Taylor at checkout. But hurry because this offer expires on June 29th, 2018. Again, go to modcloth.com and enter code TAYLOR for 15% off your purchase of $100 or more. Um, Thinking about it now, our discussion of the first letter uh, actually really hinted at like the Me Too movement with the use of pressure and power and like coercion for consent. Um, And I'm curious how you've seen, you know, this Me Too movement impact the work that you've been doing with Peer Exchange. Mm. 
if at all? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, or maybe just your conversations that, in general around consent, how this movement is. How it's been influencing. Well, yeah, it seemed I to think, have given people a voice that, that felt like they maybe previously didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of what we're seeing is still rippling throughout, you know, um, at, at Peer Health Exchange, because we've been talking about consent for a long time now, like this has been a part of our curriculum since before Me Too erupted. Mm-hmm. I think what it's really done is just emphasize how important our work is mm-hmm. in terms of really teaching consent. And like, as you, the younger you can start teaching this, the better. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we focus on high school students and we teach in ninth grade classrooms. So it's like, it, the, in the ideal world, it would be great if a young person, by the time they get to the ninth grade classroom where they're learning um, our curriculum, they it's like a refresher, right? Like they've yeah. actually already been taught that they have agency over their own bodies. I'm mm-hmm. um, like, can say yes or no to, to what's happening to them. Um, unfortunately, that is not always the reality. And for many young people, um, this is the first time that they're hearing these concepts and they're hearing what consent is and what it is. So I think mm-hmm. what Me Too has done is really just made it so clear how important it is to be having these conversations regularly. And um, I, I think that's one of the things that I'm really proud about the work that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, when you're having these conversations with your peers, which that's what our model does, it's like near peer with college students talking to high school students. And so like the age gap is not that big. It's a yeah. lot different than like talking to your teachers about it. Like these are college, you know, young folks that these issues are just as important to them as it is to the, to the ninth graders that they're teaching, yeah. um, to, to, right. So they're just having like really open, frank conversations. It's like complete real talk. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about it. I've, I've had a chance to like sit in in a lot of those classrooms. Or I'm an observer and I'm learning from them as much as like, mm-hmm. they're probably learning from each other. Um, and then beyond peer health exchange, I think I've just noticed that people are more open to having these conversations like never before. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people that I, I feel like may have never even wanted to talk about these things are talking about it um, yeah. because we're being forced to, right? We're, we're really um, being put in a place where we're finally paying attention and like listening to, to women mostly. I think Mm -hmm. women have been saying these things for a really long time. Yeah. And I think it's also kind of given some men the courage to also, uh, stand up. You know, we've seen that as well with the me too movement, um, of some men also standing up and sharing their stories. Uh, Mm -hmm. and I think it's, you know, you, you bring up a really good point that like, these are conversations that I think women have been having for a long time, but perhaps that like, Men really haven't. Um, and I think, you know, with everything happening with the Me Too movement, um, that it's almost kind of creating debates around what consent is and how that, and, um, you know, I, I think I've heard some things along the lines that are kind of hard to hear, like, you know, well, what did she expect was going to happen? Or like, well, you know, yeah, that's what she gets, you know, and then she gets to do all these other great things. So why is she complaining and, and stuff like that? But that, even though those things are hard to hear, I think it's good that people can express those so we can actually have a conversation about like 
what that actually is. Well, I think even beyond uh, the topic of consent, I think it's really, really cool what uh, what especially your organization is doing in even just bringing sexuality onto mm-hmm. the table and giving people a voice. Because, I mean, you and I are, are similar ages and I know growing up it was, you know, it, the less it was talked about, the better mm-hmm. as far as like in the family and in the school. It was just like the more the more you could keep it out of conversation, then the more the better it, it was it was seemed mm-hmm. um but then right. we never like learned how to some have these conversations it was it was always this this haze of taboo mm-hmm. right right like what i was talking about earlier like how young people really have this language that i didn't have at that right. age right i think i think that's being exactly to what you're saying kit like just because we're not talking about it doesn't mean that uh, these things aren't going to happen. What is happening when we don't have the conversation is that like you're failing to equip people with with the the skills that they need to make decisions for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where it gets pretty scary, and why why I'm a big proponent of like let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> there um, we go. The ding ding ding. Right? Let's <laughs> talk about it. It's, yeah, let's but talk I, about it. I think it I, makes. I think it makes uh, some people really uncomfortable. But I think you're right in that it doesn't make you know, the kids as uncomfortable as it does sometimes. I think mm-hmm. the, the older generations that are like, wait, why are we being so frank about this? This is, we, we're, not, we're not used <laughs> to talking about this and it can be overwhelming to them. But it's because, yeah. uh, because there's a way to, I think, talk about sexuality without just being crude and without mm-hmm. just being totally. you know, risque. And I think that's when when those have for a long time been just lumped up in one mm-hmm. big box, sometimes we got to take them and say we can talk about these in in two different ways. Yeah, yeah and it's okay to be uncomfortable. That's where growth yeah. happens, right? Right. Like I don't think comfort should be our mm-hmm. our like what we're reaching for. Which is where um, I think we have a lot to learn from from uh, mm-hmm. organizations like yours and from kids that mm-hmm. are saying, you know, we don't understand it all, and we're not trying to have the answers, but we're trying to, you know, sometimes it is a bit of shooting for a. You know, aiming for a moving target, but still, like the point is, you're aiming. The point is that the conversation is mm-hmm. is happening, and I think so. We, yeah. as in those that anyone that gets uncomfortable by it, has mm-hmm. a lot to learn from from those that are that are mm-hmm. currently doing a good job of being open. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. speaking of things that are uncomfortable, you know, I mean, just talking about sex in and of itself is uncomfortable. Then going on to talk about sexual assault can be uncomfortable. Um, talking about rape can be uncomfortable. Talking about consent, but like. All of these things are, you know, things that we really should just open the doors for because mm-hmm. they are such, sex is such a natural part of who we are as humans. Um, and, you know, earlier you mentioned experiencing a sexual assault, assault experience yourself. Um, and I'm curious what, you know, if that was before kind of doing some of this work or if that was more recent and like how that kind of what that experience taught you about consent and how you kind of look at perhaps the dynamics of, you know, our sexual interactions uh, differently from that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's this um, consent advocate. Her name is Amber Amore. I recommend to people who like are on Instagram to look her up. She's really amazing. Okay. Um, and one of the, the reasons I bring her up is because um, I was reading this essay that she wrote on Huffington Post about how she um, has survived assault many different times. And mm-hmm. it dawned on me that I'm like, oh, so have I. And I think um, I think it's because, again, my idea of what consent 
was was evolving at the time. Hmm. And so, you know, if I'm using my own definition of enthusiastic consent where coercion was not involved, then like I've had a lot of incidents and most of those incidents have been with someone that I was dating mm-hmm. or a, like a significant other um, where, you know, I was coerced into doing something I didn't want to do or even I said no and then like it didn't mm-hmm. really matter. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so so um, I think part of part of those experiences, like the most recent one was probably around two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you were already wild. pretty involved in this work. Yes, I was already very involved. And I think it's important to talk about that because um, the more that you do know and, and are able to advocate for yourself, the easier it will be to really own your agency and really be in your body and be able to know like what is right and wrong for you. Mm-hmm. But even then, like we have to talk about how there are other external factors that are stacked up against us. Yeah, And that's where, you know, like understanding rape culture, understanding coercion really is important. Um, understanding power dynamics, all of that is really, really important. Um, mm-hmm. And then also understanding that like sometimes when we're in those situations, our bodies react in ways that we did not expect. Mm-hmm. So like as an example, freezing is one of those things. Like um, we we live in a world where we tend to blame the victim. That's part of rape culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're actually as a society, we're hardwired to blame the victim. There is like this like really interesting theory that says that like um, when something happens to someone, it doesn't really live up to our expectation that the world is a fair and just place. Mm -hmm. So we want to focus on how the person that is the victim, like they did something wrong. Because if they did something wrong, then that still means we live in a good Good, just mm-hmm. that something world. bad happened to you because you did something bad. Exactly, mm-hmm. um, and that is so, so prevalent in this culture around dating and hooking up. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's but exactly that, it. But that's such an yeah, that's but, even such an ancient idea. Like even there was a I'm, I don't know I like weird the psychology or a philosophy and theology stuff. But there was a time where um, there was like a, a, a blind person that they brought to Jesus, and they were like. Who sinned, him or his parents? They're like, you know, where where do we place the blame for this? Mm-hmm. They were wrestling with that kind of victim blaming all the way, you know. Yeah. It's just human yeah, thing. even back mm-hmm. then, right? Yeah. So knowing that like we don't live in a just world, that good things do happen to bad people. Yeah. Like if we can learn to like recognize when we're victim blaming, like the sooner we could do that, the better we can gain empathy and compassion and really start to look at what mm-hmm. is the problem then. Yeah. So for me, I was in the middle of this work when something like that happened to me. And I realized like there there were other things that were contributing to my finding myself in those situations. Not that, again, I wasn't victim blaming myself, but I was able to start to see like what was taking agency away from me. One of those big things was alcohol. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So for me, like I realized like I had a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol. So about two years ago, I decided to remove it altogether. Hmm. And Hmm. it's been um, a really like eye-opening experience to like understand how it played a role in a lot of decisions that Mm -hmm. put me in harm's way, but that does not take away like 
the like it doesn't take away what those people like who were harming me it doesn't take away their blame or fault in what they did it just it just helped me be more aware of like what was happening or in my own surroundings Mm -hmm. um and just like the kind of people that I was choosing to engage with or have relationships with like it's been like a 180. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's been pretty eye-opening. Yeah. I mean, those are good, like, takeaways to to reflect on about yourself and, and your life in a way that's not blaming or shaming yourself from that experience. No. Um, and it, again, just to reiterate, it does not matter, like, mm-hmm. if you are drinking, if you are assaulted, that is not your fault. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious what, uh, what kind of takeaways or, you know points of encouragement that you could give, uh, for both men and for women, uh, moving forward with both giving and receiving consent, how they can, you know, have the courage to, uh, give their consent and also how we can on both sides of gender, um, you know, better receive someone else's consent. Yeah. All sides of gender, right? Cause yeah. we have genders, uh, and not a non-binary. Yes, yes. Concept, gender fluid, so. whatever you are. Yeah. Yes. So all people, I think, can benefit from just, I loved what Kit was saying, to really, like, sit with yourself and have, like, a little journal setting time around, mm-hmm. like, what is consent to me? How do I feel about consent? Um, but beyond that, really, I think if we could start to practice consent outside of the bedroom, like mm-hmm. really listening to each other um, when you're asking someone to do something, really taking um, their yes or no, like heart and in first moment. So like I've been really trying to practice that mm-hmm. at work with friends. Like yeah. if I ask, if I ask a favor of you and you say no, I'm going to like immediately thank you for, for considering it and mm-hmm. leaving it at that. That's right? Not really trying to convince good- that's such a good point. I mean, I've been doing a lot of reflecting on being an, like an only child and having only child syndrome. Um, and yeah, I don't take no very well. And I'm like, wait, nope. wait, but how can I get my way? Um, so that's a really good point to think about. I mean, even the the Gottmans, uh, you know, lead researchers in couples therapy, they say everything in your relationship is foreplay. Everything that happens outside of the bedroom is foreplay. And mm-hmm. so to think about, you know, just accepting someone's answer as their answer and not trying to push through that to get your way, hmm. like that's yep. a great way to practice that. Yeah, just really listening, right? Being being sensitive and, and um, thinking that everybody in your life deserves dignity and respect. What a radical idea, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like... Mm-hmm. Whether whether that's a child uh, in your life, you know, or or an elder, someone, you know, whoever you're having a conversation with, what, whoever you're engaging with around a decision, mm-hmm. like really taking those decisions to heart when they tell you like no or I don't, I'm not even if it's like I'm, I'm not sure, like mm-hmm. giving that person space to figure it out without like pressuring them. Um, I think that's like a really big mindset for a lot of us. I know it is for me and it's an ongoing act of learning. It's not, we're never going to stop because I think we've learned all of these concepts. We live in a rape culture that is like, we all are complicit in some way, Mm -hmm. shape or form until we decide to actively work against that until we decide to unlearn everything we've, we've learned 
growing mm-hmm. up, which all of that was not our fault. But I think at the moment of awakening where we're like, oh, I never looked at it that way. Oh, <laughs> I totally see that actually happening in my life. Yeah. Oh, like I've blamed people before for like getting mm-hmm. robbed, yeah. you know, like. <laughs> Once we start to have those realizations, especially as we're adults, like it is on us to start to like learn as much as we can and really be there for the people who, who, um, as we know in our society, there's intersections of like marginalized people, mm-hmm. um, like that there's more things stacked up against them being able to have full free agency. Yeah. So like, how can we be, be there for them? So th- that's my advice. Just mm-hmm. like, listen to each other have a lot of conversations with each other mm. explore and reflect and then if you have questions like reach out and and talk with other people who have been doing this work yeah. um, we might not have the answers but i i can definitely be considered a resource i have i work with a lot of amazing people mm-hmm. and a lot of amazing organizations that i'm happy to put people in touch with yeah and so if people do want to reach out to you how can they find you Sure. So uh, I'm on Twitter. You can mm-hmm. find me at Adriana, and that's A-D-R-I-A-N-A, the number nine, and my last name, D is in David, I-A-Z. Um, that's the best way to find me on social media. Mm-hmm. But you can also send me an email, which I will share in the links. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so all of the contact information will be uh, listed in the episode notes description. So you guys should 100% check that out for all the other ways that you guys can get in touch and like explore, you know, the organization, Peer Health Exchange, and and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, um, yeah, I'm totally, I'm totally here, willing to listen, um, and happy to put you in touch with folks that are doing great work. If you're interested in volunteering or giving money mm-hmm. or any of the the ways that you can support organizations that are doing this work, like Peer Health Exchange and Mujeres Latinas and Acción. Awesome. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for like sharing some of your knowledge around consent with us and having this important conversation around sex and consent. Um, you know, not something that gets talked about enough and, um, really, really appreciate you coming on and being vulnerable and sharing parts of your story and just helping educate people more about this. So thank you. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for hosting and having this platform. It's such a pleasure to chat with you, both you and Kit. Yeah, yeah. It was great talking with you. And that's a wrap. That's a wrap, guys. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Let's Talk About It. We love hearing feedback from you guys, so leave us a review on iTunes and let us know what you're liking about the show. And do your homework and write your own personal definition of enthusiastic consent and how that applies to you. Yeah, we want to hear what enthusiastic consent means to you. Um, If you have topics that you want us to discuss or questions for us about certain topics, you can send those to us in an email at ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And you can find us on Instagram at letstalkaboutit underscore podcast. Thanks so much. See you. Let's talk about it. Bye. (laughs) Let's stop talking about it. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you next time. (laughs) This podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Babes and Babies, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It. 
So, how does it feel when you play Roll Up to Win with Tim Hortons? Buy a hot or cold beverage using the Tim's app and find out. Roll in the app for a chance to win prizes ranging from free coffee and donuts to a Universal Orlando Resort vacation or a sweet car. Oh, don't forget the TV. And this year, every roll is a shot at a $1,000 daily giveaway drawing for two $500 prizes. Roll up to win and get treated by Tim's. No purchase necessary. Account registration required. 50 U.S. and D.C. 18 plus enter by 4223. See rules at rolluptowin.com for free entry of full details. Void in Florida and where prohibited.